Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Good morning again. Um, So I don't know if everybody's met me yet, but I am a psychologist, um, and that's my sort of main work that I do, but also work at Malian, as Ian said, um, lecturing there in pastoral care. Um, and also studying. I'm nearly finished. This is my final semester, so which is pretty exciting. <laughs> um, it's a long time. I've been studying one subject a semester, so I feel like I've been a student forever. But <laughs> anyway, um, and I think I've also shared in the last couple of weeks that um, not only do I work in this space, I also have lived experience. So mental health is in our family. Um, I myself have moments of depression and anxiety. Um, and I was saying definitely social anxiety is a biggie for me. So coming up and speaking is, um, can be rather terrifying. Um, but it's nice coming back again a few times because that anxiety has definitely lowered, which just confirms the whole strategy that I use at work with many of my peers, is that when you face your fears, they, they start to decrease, which is lovely. So um, but anyway, yeah. So we've been looking over the last couple of weeks at um, this idea of faith and mental health and how that can kind of tie together. Um, and to do so, we've been looking at some major characters from the Bible, some major people that sort of walked with God, but also experienced quite um, intense and extreme emotion at times, um, and the ways that they kind of managed that in being faithful to God. So, so first we looked at um, Moses. We sort of did a bit of an overview of his life and had a look at the way that he just consistently um, served God faithfully despite um, some anxious thinking at times and some anxious acting and the ways that he responded to certain situations. Um, But in the end, we we just read about how he finished well and he handed over to Joshua on the borders of the Promised Land. Um, And the Israelites then went forth and and took possession of the Promised Land as God um, had said they would. Um, After some time, however, the Israelites began moving away from God and then God had sent a judge and they'd come back, but they just kept consistently turning away from God. Um, And the result of this says that they were taken into exile and Jeremiah was called with a very unpopular message to give to the Israelites that this was going to happen, that they were going to go into into exile. Um, So this was a really tough job for Jeremiah. We just looked at some of the emotions that came up for him. He's known as the weeping prophet. So, you know, lots of despair and anguish at at this time in Israelite history and the message that he had to give. Um, But we saw that this model that Jeremiah sort of used um, of lament. So rather than sort of hiding or pushing those emotions down, he brought them to God and released them um, and found a way through and continued his calling and again was faithful. So um, today we're sort of fast-forwarding into the New Testament now. So we know that the Israelites did end up returning to the Promised Land. And so by the time we reach the Gospels, about 400 years after the last book of the Hebrew Bible, um, we now know the Israelites as the Jews living um, um, within, within the Promised Land. And we're going to focus specifically on Peter today. So Peter was one of the apostles And he was known for his passion and his rather impulsive comments and actions at times. And I really relate to Peter. I think most people can. Are there times where you've put your foot in it? 
Anyone ever had those moments where they've like, they've done something and then they're like almost immediate like, oh my goodness, why did I do or say that? So we all have these moments. I think it's a very human, human thing. Um, as I was preparing this, I had one of those moments. It's like a, a little one, but still immediately. I was playing with my son, so he's six, and um, he loves being tickled. Like He just loves it. So I don't get it because I hate it. Like, I think it's terrible, but he loves being tickled. So we're like, oh, I wonder if you're ticklish here, and you know, we're tickling in different spots. And his feet, we found out his feet were really ticklish. And I had one of my moments where I just come out, oh yeah, my feet are really ticklish too. And as soon as I said it, I'm like, oh no. Because guess what happened, right? So now my feet are often targeted for tickling, and I hate tickling. So it's just a little example, but I think we all have these moments where we say or do something and then go, oh, oh no, <laughs> why did I say this? Um, and Peter is very much, I think, one of the humans that we meet in the Bible that's, that does this quite a bit. Um, so I thought, I hope you'll humour me. <laughs> with a little neuroscience lesson today. So I love learning about the brain as part of my job. I find it fascinating. I think God has made us in an, a wonderful, incredibly wonderful, amazing way. Um, and when I was reading about Peter, um, it just reminded me a lot of something I talk with a lot of clients about who are struggling with these kind of big emotions, um, kind of like Peter, where things slip out a lot. Um, so this is a picture of the human brain. Down the bottom here is the brainstem. So this is really important. It keeps us alive. Yeah, so it's heart rate, um, breathing, it's temperature control. It's all of those things that kind of keep us, keep us functioning. Um, so we're born with a fully working brainstem because we need to stay alive, which is really important. The other thing we're born with is um, the emotional brain. So right in the center of the brain there. Um, and this basically, as it's, it's called the limbic system, but it's all about emotions. So it's kind of what um, brings our attention to things we, we need, basically. So as kids, kids are very much living in their emotional brains. Um, I'm sure you've had experience of that. Um, it's all about how they feel in the moment, yeah? So who here has kids? We've got a few kids out there and may have some experience with kids. So you know, like they'll ask for something like, oh, I really want a glass of water or whatever it is. So you go get the water, you bring it back. I don't want that. And you're like, what? Like, you literally just asked for it. They felt like water when they asked for the water. By the time you've gone and brought it back, they don't feel like water anymore. Their brain's moved on. They're in a different space. So I often think when I'm working with little kids, no logic, right? It's all about how they're feeling in the moment. And that's really what the emotional brain is all about, how we're feeling in the moment. And it's important because it alerts us to things that we need. So we talked a little bit about that, I think, last week. So fear keeps us safe. Anger is about things that are unjust, helps us to act, to make things right. Sadness is about disconnection. So all of those feelings um, that come up are indicating what we need. So it's important to listen to the emotional brain. Um, and then we have this, the front of the brain, which is the prefrontal cortex, it's called. But um, I talk about the thinking brain. So this does all our planning, organizing, language, all of that sort of stuff. So this one only starts to develop sort of around six to eight years of age, it starts to kick in, um, which is why those little kids are just always in their emotional brain. And it's not fully developed until about late 20s for females, um, early 30s for males. So it takes a long time to develop to these, the frontal cortex or the thinking skills. Um, now these are important because sometimes 
our emotions are a little bit, like they miss the mark a little bit, as we'll see when we look at um, some of the examples from Peter. So this is where, the, the, I guess the job of the frontal lobes is to put the brake on when the emotions haven't quite got it right. Does that kind of make sense? So sometimes the emotion come up, like for me, coming here, for example, hugely anxious, um, had a lot of anxiety coming up. So my brain is telling me, this is unsafe, it's a threat, you shouldn't be willing to do this. These are the kind of messages my brain is sending out. So I need to, to, to grab hold of my frontal, frontal lobes and say, hey, anxiety, thanks for keeping me safe or trying to keep me safe, but actually coming to talk to a group of lovely people is not life-threatening. You're going to be okay. So this is the way that the frontal lobes, we can use the frontal lobes to come in and kind of work together. So ideally, that's what we want. We want to be paying attention to the emotions that come up, but then drawing our frontal lobes in to make the right choice about how we need to act. So, hey, I see this emotion's come up. What are we going to do with it? What is it trying to tell us or communicate? So what can happen is if we have something like a mental health disorder or we've experienced trauma um, or something similar to that, we can be living in that emotional brain a lot of the time and we can find it really hard to access the thinking brain which means we make more of those sort of emotional decisions and things like that. Um, it's also really common in certain neurodevelopmental disorders, so things like ADHD or autism. Again, the frontal lobes aren't really doing um, that job, aren't catching things. So we see a lot more of those emotional things coming out. So I think perhaps Peter, if he was living today, would probably get something like an ADHD diagnosis or something like that today. Very hard to make a call, but that's kind of the the feel that I get when I read about Peter. Now, it's not always bad when we have these little emotion moments, because I think what we see in Peter's story is that he knew on a felt level who he was and who Jesus was. So that doesn't come from our thinking brain. That's not something that we can, can reason. I think in our relationship with God, we do need to have that really deep felt sense, and that's what comes from the emotional brain. And Peter had that. He knew he, who he was, and he knew who God was. So just some examples. In Luke 5.8, he says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. So he knew. He knew where he stood before God. He knew he wasn't making the cut. He knew he had sin in his life. And he, that was not a sort of intellectual. That was on a felt level. He knew where he stood. And similarly, in Matthew 16.16, 16, he said, You are the Messiah the son of the living God, and in John 6, you have the words of eternal life. You are the holy one of God. So he had this deep felt sense of who God actually was, um, which I think was really amazing. So there are times when our emotions are bang on and we need to sit there and feel that and know that. Um, and I think, you know, Peter was praised for that. So in Matthew 16, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus saw in Peter that he had this deep connection with God. He knew who God was. He knew where he stood before God. Um, and that was a positive. That was a good thing. Um, but there were times when things didn't go so smoothly for Peter, and sometimes when those emotions came up, he missed the mark. Um, so we'll have a look at some of those examples. So there were times when he failed to break, that emotion, those um, thinking brain sort of failed to come in and really 
connect with Peter, uh, with Peter's emotions and to pull him back. So in Matthew 16, um, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Um, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So you can see the emotion in that statement, like Jesus was talking about the, his death to come and Peter was like, of course, sadness came up for Peter and grief. He was like, no, no, like you cannot be taken away. So definitely an emotional brain moment there. And Jesus' reply was quite um, harsh. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So it was quite a big pullback for Peter, wasn't it? Like it was quite, quite stern. Um, and again, I think, yeah, that there was that sense that Peter was being taken away by his emotions and what he wanted. You know, he wanted Jesus to be there. Of course he did. He's got this beautiful relationship with Jesus. Of course he wouldn't want to see Jesus die. Um, but Jesus is almost his frontal lobes. He's almost that, that thinking brain. Um, Jesus steps in and says, you know, actually, you know, this is the path. This is the path that God has for us and this is the path I have to take. Um, and just another example. So when... Um, they were all together that ev um, the evening just before Jesus' death and he came to be arrested. Um, Simon Peter had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. So again, a very kind of emotional moment, right? I think this one was driven by threat. So it's probably like that fear, panic, anxiety response. Here is this group of people come to take Jesus away. Um, and so Simon Peter, again, very in that emotional space, you know, reached out and went to protect Jesus which is what we do when we're under threat. We protect ourselves. That's what our body um, is designed to do. In fact, it's the number one priority of our brains is to keep us safe. It's not to keep us happy. It's to keep us safe and alive. Um, so this is a really common reaction of someone under threat is to protect themselves and to protect Jesus as well. Um, but again, it wasn't in the story. It wasn't in the plan for Jesus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So again, Jesus is stepping up and saying, hey, you know what? We have to use our thinking brains here, Peter. I know this is not a pleasant experience for me to have to go through or for you to have to go through, but it's the one that God has for us. It's the one that's going, it's the plan. It's the plan <laughs> we have to follow. Um, And I thought, as I was looking, as preparing this, I think it really hit me that Peter was the one that asked, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And I think a lot of the times we hear this verse interpreted as um, perhaps Peter being a little selfish, like maybe he's got this relationship that's been a bit tricky and he's got someone that keeps letting him down and he's like, you know, gosh, how many times do I have to forgive this person? It's driving me crazy. Um, but as I was preparing this and just looking at how kind of almost up and down Peter's life was and how many times he was rebuked by Jesus, I actually wonder if he's asking this question for himself. <laughs> you know, how, you know how, how many more times have I got before I've stuffed up for the last time? I just wonder whether that might be where this question is coming from. Um, I certainly sometimes have that question. <laughs> I don't know if you do, where you feel like, oh, I just keep missing the mark here. I keep getting it wrong. Like, are you sure I can come back again? Is there still more forgiveness there? So I just wonder whether this was more of a, a Peter sort of testing the water a bit a little, you know? 
I realize I've stuffed up a bit. You know, Jesus, how, I said, how many times, you know, does forgiveness kind of happen here? Um, and of course, Jesus answers, not seven times, but 77 times. The forgiveness is always there, um, which I think is a, a beautiful thing. It makes me think a lot, there's this parenting program that um, we, I use quite a lot in my work called the Circle of Security. And one thing they talk about is the process of rupture and repair. And I think that's really relevant to when I look at Peter's life as well. So the idea is that as humans, we're not going to get it right all the time. We're, we're going to miss the mark. It's going to lead to disconnection. Um, it's just part of being human. And that's not actually a problem if we repair, if we reach out and we forgive and we reconnect, yeah? So it can be a problem if we never do that, if it's rupture after rupture after rupture after rupture. But as long as we're making that effort to reach out and repair again, then things are okay in the end. And in fact, it can strengthen a relationship when we go through that rupture and repair process, um, which I think is really clear in, in Peter's life and when you read about Peter. Um, and I think it's particularly beautiful when we read through what happened right towards the end. So just before Jesus' death and then following, following that, uh, the relationship, when you look at the relationship between Peter and Jesus, and I think it gives us this, this beautiful model of, of this rupture repair process of this forgiveness. Um, and forgiveness, of course, that was made 100% possible by the fact that Jesus went through with the plan and that he did die for us. So let's have a look at John 13. Um, so this is at the last, um, last supper that this, this occurs. Um, Simon Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you'll follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So again, we see Peter very emotional. You know, he's very connected to Jesus. He has these really strong, strong emotional feelings. And I was like, yes, I'll die for you. Like, this is going to, I'm 100% committed to this. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. I just think of like, can you imagine Peter's shock in this moment? Like, he's 100% devoted to Jesus. Like, he was protecting, you know, he's so protective of Jesus and didn't want him um, to go through, you know, to die. He was like, I will lay down my life. He was so, so to hear Jesus say, you're going to disown me, I think it probably would have been a bit of a shock for Peter. I think he'd be like, never, like, I would never, ever disown you. It would have been like, what, unthinkable. But then not too long after, um, we read what happens after Jesus has been arrested. Um, Peter follows and finds out where they've taken him and hangs out um, while Jesus is being questioned. Um, and while he's hanging out, one of the servants comes up and asks, you aren't one of these men's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. And of course he replies, know the story, I am not. And it hasn't twigged yet for Peter. He doesn't realise that things are playing out as Jesus said it would. And a little bit later, he's asked again. So Peter was still standing there. So they asked him, aren't you one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it again, saying, I am not. But still, Peter hasn't twigged. He hasn't realised that things are playing out. 
And then one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Can you imagine the shame Peter must have felt in that moment? Like that really hits me when I read this story. He was so devoted to Jesus. He was so sure. He was so certain that he was going to lay down his life for Jesus. That's how much Jesus meant to him. And yet, not that long after making that declaration, he finds himself in a situation and instead of laying down his life and putting himself, you know, in that position where perhaps his life would have been taken, he denies that he even knows Jesus. And I think in one of, you know, in one of the other chapters, I think he, he brings, curls down, calls down curses and saying, you know, like, I do not know him. I don't know what you're talking about. So it wasn't just kind of a cash. He was adamant that he didn't know Jesus in this moment. So again, we see this kind of, I think, that emotion and that fear and that moment, that panic caused him to turn away from Jesus, this one person that he said he would actually give his life for. Um, and I, so I can just imagine that, like, the guilt and the shame that would have been overflowing Peter in that moment, you know, that he had his, he had his moment, he had his opportunity um, to prove his worth, uh, sorry, his, his alliance, um, and he let it pass. So I think Peter just would have been carrying this, this, this guilt and this shame like all through this, this, this period, you know, Jesus' death. And yeah, I can't imagine like what that must have been like for him during this time, which I think is what makes this final scene that we're going to look at just so very beautiful. Um, you know, so in John 21, we read, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And I like this. I think this is a very emotional response as well, you know. I don't know about you, but I often return to the familiar <laughs> when I'm feeling not quite right or settled or, you know. And I think in this moment, Simon would have still been feeling that, that intense guilt and shame. He would have been feeling the sadness, the grief from, from Jesus' death. He would have been sort of overwhelmed with emotion, I think, in this moment. And what do we see him do? We see him returning to the familiar. You know, he used to be a fisherman. This is stuff that he can do without thinking. He doesn't have to put much effort in. He just know, he knows. He knows the drill. He knows what he's doing. And I think that's a common thing. We often return to the familiar when we're feeling very emotional. We turn to the things that kind of... Because that sense of... I think it gives us a sense of security when we return to the familiar. So this is what we see Peter doing. He's kind of going back into that familiar space as he's carrying these, these huge emotions. Um... Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I think this is a beautiful point of connection that Jesus is making because it repeats something earlier that happened, a very similar situation when Peter first met Jesus, there was a similar thing that happened, you know, he's told to throw 
the net's in on the other, uh, the net's out on the other side, and he hauled in that big, huge number of fish. So this is a beautiful way that Jesus is reaching out to Peter and saying, hey, I remember. I remember when we first met. I know what that was like. So it's like Jesus' first step, I guess, in reconnecting, in that repair process, in that process of forgiveness, which I think is just such a beautiful thing for him to have done. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Which reminds me a little bit of when Jesus walked out on the water to Peter, you know, and Jesus, and he was like, you know, if it's you, Jesus, tell me and I'll come. And he walked on that, you know, hopped out of the boat and walked on the water. So again, there's this other, another connection, you know, these little moments of connection where it's kind of like replaying the life that Jesus and Peter had together. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals that were there with fish on it and some bread. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. So we can see this similar reconnection with moments in, in life, right? Remember, you know, the Last Supper, but also um, where he fed the thousands and thousands of people with the, the, just the bread and the fish and the breaking of it. So again, it's like all these little symbolic moments where Jesus is, is reconnecting and repairing this relationship, which I think is just beautiful. Um, and this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. None of the, uh, sorry, I'm already there. There we go. When they had finished eating, um, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Oh, what a question. Can you imagine like being asked that after you've just, like the last time you saw Jesus, completely denied him and turned away. And this is what Jesus starts out with. Do you love me? I'm like, oh, <laughs> what a big moment. Um, and Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And of course, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I always think it's interesting Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three. How many times did Jesus ask whether Peter loved him? Three. So it's interesting little, yeah, moment there as well, connecting back. Um, and then Jesus not only kind of reconnects and forgives Peter, but it's almost like a recommissioning. It's almost like, yes, you're back on board. I know that you know, you felt terrible what happened and I forgive you, you're welcomed back. Here, now go and continue that calling. Um, if you remember back, one of the verses we looked at was that um, Peter was going to be like the rock that Jesus was going to build his church on. That's not been forgotten. Even though Peter turned away so, like, I don't know what the word is, but so clearly he, was, he had turned away from Jesus. But um, that wasn't the end of the story. Peter was still welcomed back and forgiven and set back on the path of that calling that Jesus had placed him on. So Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So such a beautiful, such a beautiful story, I think, when we look at that, when we look at the, I think, the absoluteness of Peter's denial of Jesus. Um, And yet the forgiveness was there. Peter could come back and reconnect, you know, and I think it just reminds me when I think of how often I fail and how often I fail to meet God's standards of sort of of never getting that right. And I think it's such a beautiful story to read because we know that despite that, Jesus is always there waiting, you know. He did, he went ahead with God's plan and he sacrificed himself, he died so that we could reconnect with him, so that there could be that process of forgiveness and that there is nothing that we can do that's going to negate that. Um, which I think is so clear in Peter, like he, he literally said, like, I do not know him. And it was still, it wasn't enough to completely rupture that relationship beyond re- repair. And I get, I think, so much um, comfort from knowing that, that um, that forgiveness is there. So what can we learn from Peter? Well, I think that we do need to listen to our felt sense. I think that's important. So right at the beginning, we said that, you know, Peter had it bang on sometimes. You know, he had that really felt deep connection. It wasn't just a a head knowledge about what I believe. You know, it was a heart knowledge. And I think that's really important that we have that as Christians, that it's not just about knowing what we believe, but it's feeling what we believe and feeling that connection with God. So I think we do need to listen to our, our felt sense like Peter did. Um, but we also need to realise that sometimes we're going to put our foot on it, our foot in it, you know, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. There's going to be that disconnection. Um, it's going to happen. We need to expect that to happen. Um, but that's not the end of the story, yeah? Because we can reconnect by accepting God's forgiveness and continuing in our calling just like Peter did. Um, and I get a great sense of comfort and hope from, from knowing that, from reading Peter's story and knowing there's nothing that I can do that's going to completely sever that relationship with God. He's always waiting there with open arms, ready to forgive and to welcome us back. Um, I'm just going to pray for us, if that's all right. Dear Lord God, thank you um, for Peter. Thank you that um, we can read about Peter's life today um, and the way that Well, sometimes he got it 100% bang on, right? There were many times that he missed the mark um, and that he didn't get it right. Um, I thank you that we have this model because being human, we don't get things right all the time either. Um, But I thank you that, like Peter, you're, you're waiting to welcome us back. You're waiting to forgive us. You're waiting to reconnect. And I just thank you that we can read about this and know um, that we can always come to you, even if we're sort of drowning in guilt and shame, um, you will always be there to welcome us back and to reconnect and encourage us to continue on the call that you've placed on each and every one of us. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. 
Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing, intergenerational, and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.